If you need a turnkey professional development and team building experience for your company or community, LeaderCast Events is your answer. We provide the guidance, technology, and entertaining CEU-accredited content for you to stream an in-person or virtual event for your team. Welcome to the LeaderCast Podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. Today on the LeaderCast Podcast, it's our friend and main stage LeaderCast presenter, David Horsager. He is the CEO of the Trust Edge Institute and regarded as one of the foremost experts on the topic of trust in the whole world. Does over 100 speaking gigs a year. We are excited to have him here today. You'll learn lessons of growing up on the farm. You'll learn about the great gut punch in his life when he lost everything around 2006. And ultimately, you will learn where I was when I met Boss Hogg as a kid. You're not going to want to miss it. David Horsager, welcome to the podcast. Joe Boyd, thanks for being my friend. We are <laughs> friends. I don't know how that happened, but uh, we'll try not to do that thing where on interviews where two friends talk to each other and they have a blast, but it's not helpful to anyone else. Let's, we'll try not that, to do that. We'll, do, we'll not do that. We'll give, we'll give something here, <laughs> but appreciate you. Yeah, man. I think I'm so... So happy you're here. One of our first guests on the reboot of the LeaderCast podcast, uh, speaker, main stage speaker, and you've been, you're on our platform, LeaderCast Now. You're all over the place. Uh, and uh, a new, newer face to LeaderCast in the last year or so, but we are so happy you're part of our team and our community. Uh, so this particular podcast, we kind of want to dive in more to your story and figure out kind of the things that made you who you are. And you always, as much as anybody I know, have a ton of practical stuff to give us. And we'll probably get to a little bit of that here at the end. Uh, but especially for those of you, you know, that are already familiar with you on the LeaderCast platform, let's just get to know you a little bit. And uh, the first question I like to start with, and it goes from there, is uh, take us back to to young. Uh, were you were you always, uh, did they call you Davy or anything when you were little? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what all the names were. Davy Babe, Lorny Babe. My brother was Lauren, so they called him Lorny Babe. We were, the, we were the little boys. So there was two older boys, then there was two girls, and then there was Lauren and I, and we were the little boys. Gotcha. So uh, as the big boys, little boys, we're still the little boys, even though my brother is bigger than all of us, and I'm up, you know, we're, we're both the, 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 the bigger, taller, whatever. So... Um, Yep, grew, grew up. I was the first kiddo born in 1973, New Year's Day, January 1st, uh, nice. in that hospital. So I got a, you know, on the front page of the paper for being <laughs> the first kid born in 1973. And, you know, to get that press, they give you a gift certificate. And I remember I went to get that gift certificate when it, the bond or whatever, when it reached its full amount when I was 18 years old and I thought, I'm going to take this, I'm going to, you know, put it toward college. It's going to be, you know, like whatever. And right. I pull it and I go to the bank and it's worth $18. <laughs> it won't even pay for a book. It's like, what did they put in there? Three cents. That's, that's awesome. That also means that you are officially older than me by four months, which is great news for me. I wasn't aware of that. So that's good. Well, um, so when you were a kid, little kid, I, um, I know you grew up on a farm. Is that right? That's true. So you were probably like working really hard and stuff, but uh, probably not as hard as the older boys, I would guess. Did they have to? Work well, they hard? don't think so, but we definitely <laughs> worked hard. Yeah, you know, of course, the younger ones. But we, 
Yeah, I mean the older boys did have it did have it tougher. Like it was a it was a tough time. We were upside down and backwards on that farm. My dad bought his first eighty acres, uh, I think, with the money he came back from the Korean War with, um, as far as being a, a GI or whatever. And then, but little by little, um, that farm became valuable. But in the eighties, we were up. People don't remember eighteen. Now they're talking about interest rates. Eighteen, nineteen percent interest rates. We had bought another farm. We were in debt on it. Um, we lost so much money. And uh, I remember hard times. I remember mm. not, you know, uh, not getting to have. So it, it's one of the poorest counties in Minnesota, which means there's no lakes in the county and it's on bad farm soil. But um, we had we had everything we needed. We had a massive garden, about an acre. So we raised our own vegetables and we froze them. And we had, you know, uh, milk from the farm next to us and eggs from the other farm next to us. And um, but it was it was genuinely it was. Uh, um, you know, now it's a beautiful farm. My dad turned 93 this month, mom and dad. Wow. They still run the farm. They just sold some of it and are giving money away to things they believe in. It became valuable. As you know, land became valuable. Once you have 1,500 acres paid off, it's uh, quite something. Yeah. And so they've been, they've been, uh, there's kind of a thing in our family. You don't give it to other, The worst thing to do is win the lottery. So, you know, <laughs> we don't pass on. You get, you make your own. So it's yeah. like they're giving it away and having fun doing some really cool things. And we, we believe in them, but I'm, I'm really grateful for mom and dad. They're healthy. They weigh their high school weight. Um, That's and they're crazy. still, uh, you know, still running stuff up there, but, um, that there was a lot of work. It yeah. was, um, and it was assumed Saturdays, other day, like you didn't get to go. There was probably a bitterness in my teens a little bit of the kids going to play ball, the city kids, but we were, we were eight miles from the nearest town of 500 people. Wow. Wow. So I'll be, my first question I never got to is, uh, and, uh, I don't know how much like pop culture you were consuming back then as a little kid, but I'm interested in like your favorite early hero or adventure story or cartoon or comic book or book series or anything like that. Was there anything that captivated your imagination as a young boy? This is going to be very embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you didn't get to watch TV hardly at all in our family. Yeah. Um, there just wasn't. You just didn't get to do it. It was, a, it was faux pas. It was like bad. It was like, I don't know, for whatever reason. But we would watch. This is so terrible. I'm going to be so judged. I mean, really, is this a safe place? I don't think so. You've made it sound so bad it's going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, wow, to get in a car and run around and, you know, drive, you know, so I'd, I would jump into the window of the car, but I was, I was a little bit, that half hour show something, it's so awful to think back to the, all the stereotypes and, and issues and whatever, but um, sure. that was one thing. Hogan's Heroes was another one we saw once in a while, but all right. um, yeah. I love that, man. I was, uh, I mean, we're the same age we just discovered for sure, but like. I remember playing Dukes of Hazard at recess in elementary school, uh, which was just little kids running around pretending to drive cars. Uh, but yeah. and I met Boss Hogg. I don't know if that makes you jealous, but uh, <laughs> when I was like ten years old, he came to Camden Park, which is this kind of smaller, might still be there. I'll say nice things, nice little amusement park in West Virginia. And my parents yeah. drove me, and he was there in his outfit in front of his car. I got my picture taken with him. The, the, Big moment the, that doesn't necessarily, yeah, I'm, um, that's interesting. I think the thing that people don't get, you know, and there's plenty of things with Confederate and racism, all, all these kinds of things, yeah. how women were treated, no doubt about it. But there's also a thing of these good old boys were trying to do good. 
And I have always had a justice bone. Yeah. And I think that was like my draw. Like they're going to do the good against the corrupt, you know, boss hog or the corrupt whatever. <laughs> and there, there's, I guess there's that story in a lot of places, but there is something about we're going to, we're going to take a big risk. Like I'm an entrepreneur, right? We're going to take a big risk. We're going to jump off this ramp, you know, whatever. And we're going to, we're going to make it away and we're going to save the thing, you know, the people, we're going to show truth. And uh, there's something deeper there maybe, but I'm not trying to just dig for it. (laughs) Well, I think it's there. Uh, The righteous rebel story is definitely like a, a thing, right? Like the, like Star Star Wars that, you know, they're technically the revolutionaries are the heroes. Um, yep. so that's, that's in these stories for sure. And, and that's, that was a very, uh, maybe not the deepest one, but a, a very popular one there in the late. 70s. If I was going to think we were going to talk about something meaningful on this, that would, I, that would have, what we just talked about would have never come to mind. Perfect. <laughs> that's the goal. What we don't know yet is if listeners care, but, uh, right. th- that's my goal, <clears throat> but I, I do it on purpose because I want, I think we all get captivated by, some sort of stories when we're younger, it's just the, the way, and they do kind of like begin to shape us or at least point us in a certain direction. And our early people that we associate as heroes, like you said, start to lay the, the groundwork. If nothing else, now that we're older, we can see it, right? That we started to be drawn towards those sort of uh, the, the justice, uh, you know, vigilantes, the, the rebels in, in, in that story or, or whatever it is. I am curious from that age, as you got a little older, um, I've never, uh, I shouldn't say I've met one person in my life who said when they were younger, they wanted to grow up and, and coach people in business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've, I've <laughs> a ton of friends, yeah, no, no, I've a ton of friends yeah. that are happy so, do, I, doing that, but right. it's usually not a child ambition. So I'm interested what early on, like, what did you, what did you think you were going to become? What, what was your hope, your goal? Um, and, and then how, how did that play out? Well, I, you know, first of all, back to the hero thing, because we're so removed from people out there, think of eight miles to the nearest yeah. town. And yet my parents traveled quite a bit. So I got to see a bigger view, especially after their 25th. Now, you know, they've done two trips around the world. They've climbed, you know, they've been in, in the Himalayas and every continent and, you know, Africa, seeing wow. our siblings and our missionaries and also just seeing the world. And, and they're very much into history, which we heard a lot. We read a lot. I, and, and, you know, one thing not, not to be trite about it, but my dad, my brothers, my siblings, they were my heroes. Like my, I, I mean, I remember cause you didn't have not, not, they were good people to look up to too, by the way, yeah. but you didn't have a lot of other options always, um, there. So I, I even think of my older brother, how different we are. And I love him deeply, but he was an engineer, you know, he was a computer guy. So I thought I wanted to be that. And I learned, you know what? I hate that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, so it's kind of like you had to, you, you so look up to someone, but then you learn, you know, that part of it isn't you. Right. Um, but I, I think there were some things along the way because of what you're exposed to. I was very entrepreneurial and I was a big dreamer early on. I, I was a, if you think of strengths finder, my, I have a gift, you know, futurist is one of them and responsibility is one of them, but I'm, I'm looking out there. What can be? And so I was entrepreneurial and so one thing, even as a kid, I'm like, farm, farming. And my dad gave us great opportunity, even though he had 1,500 acres we had to help them with. He like, I, I, I planted, 
I think it was 12 acres or some, some big amount of sweet corn one time. And then I raised the sweet corn and I went in and tried to sell it to the store. Yeah. And I learned how much work it was to make nothing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like they're, they're, a dozen sweet corn and they'll pay you 75 cents and you're picking and you're, you're harvesting, you know, weeding. Yeah. And it, it was like crazy. And then it went bad and then you had mold on it and then whatever. But, but I think there was a time when I thought farming and ranching in a certain way would be really amazing, but I actually didn't love all the work of it. Yeah. So I was always making these drawings of how could you have robots do this and how could you have this happen, but yeah. you know, do that. But I think farming, I, I was really into sports. That was one of the things you talked about the difference. The older kids actually harvest season, planting season, they could pick one sport, one sport in the year, fall, spring, or winter. And they had to help on the farm the other rest of the yeah, time. Yeah. And I was at a time when I got to be a four sport, three, three to four sport athlete and be in sports all the time. And I loved it. It didn't mean we didn't have to work the rest of the time. We did work very hard in the summers. We'd get up before school and, and, um, be out doing things, but there, there was a difference in the times. And, yeah. um, anyway, I think I looked up to them. My, my parents were, um, entrepreneurial in other ways, even though they had earlier been teachers before they decided to kind of lose money on the farm for a while. Um, and so it, it, it later, my dad, I saw how entrepreneurial and how creative it was and how that farm became so valuable because he was, he was hardworking and also willing to pivot and try things, yeah. try, Hey, we're going to just, we're going to try planting seagrass for golf courses and, and, and raise this. And we're going to plant dry edible beans. Only soybeans had been raised up there and they did very well. And we're going to do, we're going to pivot and think and grow. And so, um, there was something about entrepreneurism. And then later I had a transformational experience at a, a camp. I loved, uh, sports camps, Christian camps, the summer camps. Yeah. And so I thought about in my mind later, uh, being a, kind of a camp director uh -huh. uh, and and that was a a part of me seeing the difference that happens when people get away yeah and it's you know part of who i am today and seeing speakers there and some of that kind of thing and so one thing led to another there and later i worked for you know canna cut camps and other camps and you know directed k life and other things so um anyway that was some uh, there there's probably more dreams in there with sports well, no, and, like one of the things we you know it's interesting that this is a, an experiment we wanted to try to really see what folks dreams were early on and and how they've played out and uh it is it is sort of remarkable how it's never what you think right but it's always sort of is what you thought it would be it, it's just not in the package you thought it would be in but it is interesting how you know i think i tell my kids that the uh you know you don't need to know what you want to do, but, but you got to pretend enough to walk a certain direction <laughs> Yeah, because the next you'll step. find it as you walk. Right. Yeah. Stepping forward in faith, stepping forward. I, I think it's really interesting to look back on, on, on how much I speak now. Now, you know, I run Trusted Leadership Institute and we have these much bigger ways. We try to transform countries and companies and, you know, with their enterprise trust index and measurement tools and research and equipping and certifying people to drive trust in their company and kind of this, this bigger side of the company. And yet what I do other than kind of being chief visionary is I speak at about a hundred conferences around the world every year. I'm yeah. speaking flying today. As we said, I talked to you earlier. It's like, and, and so now going back the thread of just that part of it, I was in a 4-H speaking contest growing up every year, and I was a firm for it. I would win in our county a lot. In the state, um, the winner of state of about 2,000 kids 
It's an all-expense-paid trip to Israel because it was sponsored by the Jewish Community Relations Council or something. Yeah. They wanted to increase relations. And, I, and so, um, funny enough, I got second in the county that year. And I thought, oh, I'm going to work on this a little bit. I got second in districts, but the top two keep going forward. And finally, um, so through a bunch of stories and a bunch of coaching, I ended up winning state and going to Israel. And I had a big thing of, of how much I love to um, I love to travel and thought it would be so cool to be able to travel. Uh, and, and so, you know, but then winning state and then people ask me to speak at the different youth events early yeah. on and being affirmed in that speaking is interesting yeah. that a speaking is a part of that thread, even though I also have pushed back against kind of cheesy motivational speakers without depth. Like that's why the research piece comes in. Right. Like I've yeah, got to yeah. prove myself. Yeah. So I don't know. Hey, you're a road warrior, man. You're a, uh... You know, I, I've done a lot of speaking in my life, but never uh, that much. And it's, uh, um, it's cool. I know it can be tiring. I'm sure to, and you have, you're, you're wired for it. Your personality's wired for it too. You can, you can get up, uh, get up for it without a lot of caffeine. Like you're ready I, to go. I, you know? I do. I'm really passionate about what I'm talk, I talk about. You know, people say, yeah. when are you going to talk about something other than trust? You were here before other people, you know, you've been researching and trust before anybody knew about it. When are you going to talk about something else? I'm like, never. I mean, I'm so <laughs> Passionate yeah. about that, as you know, it was in jest, but the whole thing, you know, we did the one thing last year and like, well, the one thing is, of course, trust. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but I'm very intentional, by the way. So, like, one of my jobs in life is to be healthy physically. But when I, you know, I lost 52 pounds in five months in 2011, uh, you know, yeah. knowing that I can't keep traveling this way. So, um, one of my jobs is be healthy physically. One of them is be healthy emotionally. One of them is be healthy. Uh, spiritually and one of it be healthy uh, family wise. So like like I've got a trip coming up. My my daughter will come with me. Right. I've got uh, I think my wife goes with me. I've got ways we text with the family. I'm not perfect at any of this, by the way. I just have have become quite intentional in some ways to have a healthy life in the midst of travel. And that's why some people would say, "Why well, you hire? You have so many people like doing you know your, all these things." I'm like, there's a lot of things I don't want to have to come back and deal with those details. So I've had assistance for things so that I could come back and be with the family or whatever it is. Cool, man. Let's get, uh, let's get to the dirt. Empower yourself and your team to tackle some of the most difficult leadership challenges and grow professionally with LeaderCast Now. The LeaderCast Now app and online platform provide you access to more than 1,000 video lessons to help you navigate issues like change management, remote working guidelines, emotional intelligence, workplace conflict, negotiating, and more. Visit leadercastnow.com for more info. Every great story has uh, a colossal gut punch. Uh, it has uh, a, uh, a failure or uh, some significant pain that enters your life that transforms you. Um, so I wonder when you think about your story, um, I'm not trying to force you to be more vulnerable than you'd like to be, but was there a moment or a season that sort of felt like we call it in our mythic language, you call it facing the dragon or mm -hmm. entering the cave on, in story theory world, right? What, do you know what that is when I first ask you uh, that part of your life? I know several of them, but I know of one significant one. Uh, and, and there's, there's more probably. Mm -hmm. I grew up relatively safe, happy, positive family. That's my story. I mean, I can't like, right. at first I thought I don't have a story to share to youth because I didn't grow up, you know, on yeah. drugs and whatever. But my story there was, was relatively good. I, I think because I'm a, if, if people speak 
Enneagram, I'm a three. So there's this thing of, of in my worship, like I gotta achieve that. Like I, you know, and so, um, so Lisa and I, you know, were on staff with, uh, K-Life and, and you got like $1,200 a month or whatever it was, you know? <laughs> and so by, in, after four years there, we decided we we're going to start our own thing. And I'd been asked to speak more. So with one church saying they would give us $500 for me to come up and speak. We moved back from our, from Arkansas back to Minnesota for this event. And I couldn't, I said, we got to keep costs low. And so we found a place to live. It was the basement of 86 year old Clara Miller's and it didn't have a bathroom. It didn't have a kitchen and it didn't have windows, which we found out two years later when we, when we moved out, it was illegal to live in a windowless basement in Minnesota, yeah, it but it like did it come with black mold on the walls. So, you know, <laughs> that was good. So we lived there for two years, but we struggled. I remember, so by that October, we threw everything in we had into this business. We had a dollar forty to our name, 80 cents in our home account, 60 cents in the business account. I remember sitting in front of a grocery store with my armor on my wife thinking, we don't have enough food to go in, or we don't have enough money to go get food. And that happened where we had, we were broken. We had nothing. We were trying to get this going. And the f- kind of not funny truth about this is in that first decade from 09, from 99 to 09 in starting this business, mm-hmm. we had that really happen three times. Wow. And we had nothing. I remember with the first book launch before it became picked up by Simon Schuster and bestseller and all that stuff, we're a no name, no nothing, right? Yeah. I remember we were, we, we kind of, there was this kind of launch party, and I just said, we look like we're successful. We look like things are like going a certain way, and we might lose our house this month. We might not be able to pay our mortgage this wow. month. Yeah. And, and so that, there was different times in that decade, but there was, there was agony. We, you know, there was the, the first, um, we, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. We, we finally moved into a duplex so that someone else was paying for part of the mortgage, and that was that was stress too, because hire, having the right people in a duplex that you also live in, in one of the toughest parts of, yeah. of, of Minneapolis was, uh, you, you know, was something else early on. But there, there, was, there was really tough times. I, uh, one other, I'm going to add to the magnificence of the challenge here. And that was right before one of my daughters was born. I, the, 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 as, a, as a three, as an achiever, you're like, I got to provide. I mean, I have, and as a number one strengths finder, high responsibility, I felt so responsible and I felt like I wasn't. And yeah. I felt there was a time in there of feeling hopeless about this. And um, so I thought, how can I mitigate the, the kind of the risks of being tied to my speaking? You know, you had 9-11 happen. So then all the conferences shut down. You had all these different things happen. And, um, and I would get some and we'd make it. And we had some successes too in there. We had mm-hmm. some successes, but um, then, then you'd have this tough thing happen or whatever. And so in right before my third child was born, I bought a company. And I mean, it wasn't like I was doing this behind hidden doors. Like I showed my accountability group. I showed my friends like, what do you think? So that we could, um, still feeling called to speak some, but but a way of providing, um, you know, uh, without, uh, beyond me, like in a way that would work. And it was anyway, that, so we'd kind of mitigate risk. Of course I used all debt, like a line of credit to buy this. Right. Yeah. And, 
uh, line of credit was, you know, moving target. It wasn't fixed rate. Yeah, right. So bought this within two weeks. I actually saw that this was, this was not, they were lying to me. It wasn't true. And so I spent all this money on my line of credit against my house that I already was paying a mortgage on. And I mean, it was, if I, I don't know if I have a time where I felt like, oh, killing myself or something, but I mean, I was down and I felt, I felt like I wasn't responsible. I felt like I didn't, didn't do, you know, I wasn't making the right decision for my family. And one night I'm just, I was sick to my stomach after all this. And we actually had inventory. Like they sent the inventory, like minuscule amount of the whole check of what we really paid for, but to kind of keep us egged on, like this is real, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I finally, I, I just got up the next day and I, I was, I was so down before, before all this. And I got up the next day after being physically sick and feeling like I wasn't providing for family and everything else. And before we got up, you know, my wife's pregnant with third kid, all, all these things. And two things happened. One, I um, took all that inventory and I gave it away to, to companies that could use it. Mm -hmm. I just said, I got to be done with this. I got to let go. We had called, you know, the, 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 these guys all ended up getting put to jail and all that later, but they didn't have any money left. So we never got a dime back. Mm -hmm. Right. And they yeah. said, you want to be at the hearing? And I just had to, I just had a moment I had to let go. Yeah. yeah. And I remember having basically no money again. And, um, it, and, and yet I was just like, my, my, our home was kind of a disaster. So, so we asked if a friend came over to help us clean. Hmm. And before this, this baby was born and just kind of helped us. And she knew what we'd kind of been through and they didn't have much money either. <laughs> we knew that. And I had one place I had kept a hundred dollar bill and, and, and I had nothing. The baby's going to be born all this. And I took that hundred dollar bill and I gave it to her and hmm. she cried and accepted it. And I inside cried too. Because, she accepted it. I, but I just remember a couple moments. But those two things, by the way, were tipping points for me of letting go, giving away, and trying to forgive, which took time. Yeah. But yeah. it happened. And then we had, you know, it was a, it was a start of a new move. You know, I, I remember, because um, that happened in 2006, I think it was. And I just remember, uh, I'm a New Year's baby, so at New Year's Eve, they have like birthday or whatever. And I just tipped the glass and I just said, uh, you know what, 2007, may it be more like heaven <laughs> and, and things did start to change. And we had a massive tipping point in, uh, kind of the end of 09 and, and 2010 and with the company, but. Wow, man. Thanks. And you told me a little of that, but I didn't know most of it. Thank you so much for, uh, opening up. I have like a, a bunch of follow-up questions. Uh, but I, I think the most important one I feel like is just somebody's going to be listening to this or watching this and be exactly there. You know, they're going to be, it's going to be different, but the same. They're going to be think like I'm, I've ruined everything. I'm a, my, my life's a mess. I don't have any money. I took a big gamble and it did not work like right now. And they got to wake up tomorrow. So do you like, what do you, what do you, what's your best advice to folks that are just right in the middle of it right now? A few things would be, uh, to me that come to mind that, that helped is one, take the next possible step. Keep taking it. Don't think of everything, but what's a step you could take? Number two, is there any part of this that you could let go of? 
that was a, a, I needed to let go. It changed me psychologically. Here's another example. We did a, um, we did a yard sale mm-hmm. and we, and, and I had all these illusions. I'd been produ- I'd produced some magic shows way back when I just sold stuff 10 cents on the dollar. It was the dumbest way of making money. Like we could have <laughs> waited longer to make yeah. money. Yeah. And, and I remember this other thing I wish I had back. We sold it for $12 or like, what? like I just, but we did this yard sale to make as much as we could to get, be able to pay for food that, yeah. that month yeah. and pay our mortgage. And it was diddly squat. I mean, I think we made $500 and we probably, it was worth, you know, whatever. Yeah. And our mortgage, I think was 700 and some or whatever. But that decision was the right thing. It was, there was something happened psychologically by letting go to make it to the next month yep. and letting go to make it to the next month. The third thing that I think was really important for us is not running from community. Hmm. And, and I, when I just think, by the way, I've never talked about this stuff. Out loud. And I don't, it's not that I mind, but I don't think people care. And I don't often tell myself, I want to give them what they want. I'm not, you know, it's just like, this is interesting that this is bubbling up. Yeah. I didn't have a three points, but they, these are what came to me. I was like, I'm not trying to give a sermon. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think that was critical that I kept close to this group of guys that I was close to other friends and that, that, um, you know, I, I was open with what was happening. I think a lot of people close up, they hide it. They want to look a certain way. Um, and I, it took me, it was agonizing, but I was open. I'm stupid. I failed. I did the wrong thing. Like this was a bad, like being open about some of those things and moving forward. Um, those guys came around me. Um, it, you know, I remember I needed a computer died. One of them bought me a computer for my business. So I would be able to still, you know, try to try to get sales and make invoices, right, you know, right. whatever. So I think, Need you know, hang sticking with close community that have your back and love and care. And I think a lot of people run from community in that kind of time. And I think that's a big, big danger. And that might have saved us, actually. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I mean, my favorite thing is when someone accidentally says something on here. So that's, uh, I've never said this before, is my favorite. That's my love language. Uh, because <laughs> I think that's the stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I'm an Enneagram seven, uh, and we talk Enneagram a lot, but as a three, I know, uh, we share something in common for different reasons. We both like to put a positive spin on things as fast as possible. Yeah. Uh, yours is generally probably to look kind of credible and mine is more to move on because this is painful. So let's just move on. Let's go have fun. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, diving in, being willing to do that with us today is honestly a sign of like maturity wisdom for you to be willing to go there. And, uh, I appreciate that, but it's, um, I have no doubt we're going to get people reaching out saying that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it's, uh, the way we we're story creatures and we sort of heal with each other's stories and mm-hmm. they give us hope. Even like our, our darkest stories give one another hope, you know? I think, I think there's another thing that is a balance there. And that is on the community front. It took me a while to share some of that too. Yeah. Like I think, but with my closest people, I could share it. And I think there's a thing today where kind of it's, it's a little bit, everybody share everything with everyone yeah, and it's losing its power because it's not appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Like just to, to, to use, um, social media as your therapy yeah. isn't healthy. 
I don't think. Now, this story, I've come through it, yep. sharing it. Hopefully, it gives hope. But I think there's people that just it kind of abuse um, acquaintances where you have to be, have a space where you can share everything and be totally there. But that doesn't mean that sharing everything with everyone all the time with people you don't know, it's like barfing out your guts on anybody you meet in the street. There yeah. are people like that too, and that isn't healthy. So I guess one thing I would just push is balance that don't leave, like press into community, find community, find a place with people that can know you and love you. But I'm just thinking of someone who's been reaching out to us from 20 years ago and wants us to, from multiple states away that has a very tragic situation happening yeah. and just is like, we need to, can we take their kids? Can we do all these things? And I'm not saying we shouldn't or should, but in this case, she needs help where she is and, 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 and does a lot of sharing on social media yeah. about yeah. all her problems. Yeah. And I think there's an unhealth to, you know, where we, you and I push vulnerability because it's often healthy in certain ways, but I have seen, also poisonous ways. No, I think it totally makes sense. And to me, I haven't thought of this before, but I think there's, uh, there's something about having the time to, to, to see the beginning, middle and end of your story. You know what I mean? Not your full story, mm -hmm. but the one you just told us, you can tell it as a true story. Now, this is how it started. This is when it got really bad. Mm -hmm. This is how it got better. This is why. And that's probably the time to be vulnerable as opposed to saying, I'm never going to talk about that again because I don't want to look stupid, right? right. Um, and there's probably unhealthy to be in the middle of a story and just kind of spewing it, <laughs> spewing your Well, in, in the middle, you listen. need to have a place to share, but it's a but, smaller but, space. But, but yeah, the, the trust, it's might, it might be about trust. <laughs> Do you think it could it's possibly be? Trust. Well, something? this is interesting. So this is jumping a little bit, but I'm looking at the data. So in the, you know, we do a global study every year, Trust Outlook, not to get, not to all yeah. of a sudden go light and try so to. So we're run wrapping from... up. So go ahead, work a plug in if you can. So we got. Like no, two, I'm not trying to work a plug in. We got in. two minutes, but please do. Oh yeah, no. Go. Okay. <laughs> well, really quick. There's there's a data that says 92 percent of people would trust their senior leaders more if they were more tr more transparent and vulnerable yeah. about their mistakes. Yeah. So people will be transparent about how cool they are and how long they've been in business, but not about their mistakes. However, there even is a line that's too much there for leaders. If they're always transparent about how terrible they are, we, we start to think they're incompetent. Yeah. So there, we need our leaders need to be more transparent, especially in these last few years. Yes. But there is even that a complexity for trust in some people that just spewing, yeah, I, do, I don't know any, as I don't know, I'm no good, I'm terrible. Well, I don't know if I wanna follow you into this pit then, right? So it's complex how yeah. we do these things that's healthy and um, for individuals and organizations. Awesome, man. We, we usually end with anything. A, no, we always end with like a serious question and a, and a fun question. I, I'm trying to think that uh, we've had a lot of seriousness, but Let's, uh, let's go with, uh, the, uh, if you aren't sure if the people following you trust you, like if you cannot straight out say, I, what, what should you do? One, I would ask them, they probably will not tell you the truth if they, if it is poisonous, so you can't believe it, yeah. but I would ask them and try to create a safe environment for that. Um, you know, not to get too academic, but of course, this is why we created the Enterprise Trust Index because yep. we can see gaps and close them. And we've saved companies millions of dollars, they've said. So when you measure it in a valid, 
confidential way, you can see real gaps. And it's worth it, by the way, because it, for people listening, a lack of trust really is your biggest expense. It really is a trust issue. It's never a leadership issue. The reason you follow a leader or not really has something to do with trust. People buy from you based on trust. People innovate based on trusted teams. So so um, I would want to know. You do want to know. So you can ask them. You can have someone else ask them or you can measure it. Love it. Or we can help you do that. You should. At TrustEdge. <laughs> what's, the, what's the URL? TrustEdge.com. TrustEdge.com. Not a plug. Just, just the facts. <laughs> uh, so here's my last question. Uh, so, uh, let's say Luke and Bo and Daisy and uncle Jesse, maybe we'll invite Enos. Uh, he's a good guy, uh, that they are going to come to your parents' farm for dinner. What do you hope your mom will cook? What's your favorite meal or your dad? Your dad may be the cook who, what's no, my mom is my mom was home ec teacher. She got, she won an award for her honey rye bread and it is unlike anything you've ever had and it is an amazing recipe and of course there's a big meal with that it probably has mashed potatoes we were a potato farm for uh for until i was three years old but there's a lot of potatoes up there still um it probably has something fresh and green from the garden and uh beans or asparagus or uh something like that and it probably has a big piece of meat i'm waiting for the protein (laughs) what are we doing chicken or beef or what do you think I'll, t- I'll I'll have a bias toward beef if I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. Let's have a let's have a big uh, steak. But she she did a lot of other you know it's a funny thing in Minnesota they call it hot dish. A lot of people would have a hot dish this casserole type thing. Um, there's always bread. There's always butter. There's always jam that was homemade from the cherry trees. Uh, there's always everything's homemade. And I'll t- but the two things I would want are homemade rye bread and homemade blueberry pie wow. with ice cream let's go there carbs go. all the way i love it absolutely what's your mom's name mary so mary, mary yeah l- let mary know mary. next time i come to visit you because i'm i need at least one of those so come back all right thank you so much and i want to say by uncle jesse i have a bias for the old and the wise <laughs> uncle jesse's a mentor man uh thank you so much this was awesome david you're the best we'll we'll talk to you again soon thanks a lot joe Leadership is a team sport, but team sports are hard. That's why our team is so passionate about helping companies and communities develop leaders and teams that trust each other to do the hard work together. One of the easiest ways to develop your teams and leaders is to stream a half-day or full-day LeaderCast event for your workplace or community. World-class content that is thought-provoking and activating. Visit us at leadercast.com to find out more.